Hey everybody, Yavtz Djurjevic here. Today I've got Victor Breyer with me. Interesting, interesting conversation. So as I mentioned in the podcast, I purposefully came into the conversation relatively blind about the topic just because I wanted my curiosity to run wild. And uh, boy, did it. We went down some interesting paths of health, uh, how to take care of your entire body, not just portions of the body, what Western medicine ignores about Eastern medicine and vice versa. And uh, Victor's just an interesting guy. He's an Ayurvedic doctor. He is the co-founder of the International Institute of Ayurveda. We talked about a lot of aspects of just human health and balance, and I think you guys will really enjoy it. I think it was really cool. It was really fun. Uh, give us a five-star review on iTunes. Check out Victor's website at iiayurveda.com. You can also see that in the show description. And without further ado, here's the episode. Victor, welcome to Millennial Manhood. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going? It's going well. It's it's seven thirty here, five thirty uh, Pacific time. So I, I admire your ability to commit to a podcast at five thirty in the morning at your, your commitment. Time. Commitment is the whole ball game, right? Right. Um, tell the folks who you are. So who's Victor? What's your story? Because I think so. Full disclosure: I'm coming into this interview. You and I have spoken on the phone, but I'm coming into this interview very blind about the topic on purpose. Again, I just wanted to let my curiosity run wild. So uh, tell folks who's Victor. All right. So Victor is uh, a guy who was born in 1986. So I'm 34 years old, about to be 35. And um, I'm an Ayurvedic doctor. And a lot of people don't know what Ayurveda is. It's a holistic health science that's coming into vogue in the United States right about now, um, past five, 10 years or so. And it's got ancient roots. So it's over 7,000 years old. It's one of the world's oldest systems of health. And um, it's been around for a long time. It is a holistic science, which means that you look at the body not as individual parts, but as a whole. So I have a stomach ache or uh, my side hurts. Ayurveda is going to say, okay, well, how's that affecting the rest of the body? And where's the cause of that stomach ache residing in the rest of the system? As opposed to, I got a stomach ache, let me take some Tums. Just deal with yeah. my stomach, right? Yeah. So that's the key difference. But how I got into that is probably more relevant to our podcast today. And... I was 24 years old when I first learned the word Ayurveda, and I'll kind of work backwards through my story. And I heard it from my mentor. His name is Joseph Rich, and he's a modern day yogi, one who practices yoga. And when I say yoga, I don't mean, you know, going to a gym and, and working your core yoga. I'm talking about yoga in the sense of the union with one's own essence yoga. Um, and of course that can open a whole Pandora's box, which we could get into as our conversation unfolds. Yeah. I was about to say, I don't know if we've got enough time to unfold the union <laughs> with oneself. Uh, yeah, but uh, loaded there. <laughs> it's loaded. It's loaded, but it's part of the story. So as loaded as it is, he's the one who introduced me to the word Ayurveda and why that was significant for me in my life is at the age of 24, I was going through a major transition. I was, a, I was working in real estate in Los Angeles, 
at that age for the past three, four years. And I was making decent money. I was relatively happy. Um, I was pretty, you know, normal as in so far as you could say someone's normal. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles and so on and so forth. And nothing was really terrible. And I think that's the important part. My story is not one of those stories where, you know, I faced extreme hardship and rose up from the ashes to, you know, do something. Um, and I think that's important because I feel like a lot of people are in my, are, or were in my, are in my position that I was in where everything's good. So if you kind of go out and say something isn't working for me here, you know, people are like, Oh, you know, your life's great. Like you got this, you got that. You should just be thankful. And you know, it's all good. Hold on, hold on. Are you telling me that in one of the wealthiest economies that the world has ever known, technologically advanced, that people aren't sh- like every single person is not struggling to sustain and survive every single day? No way. No way, man. Come on. That's ridiculous. Right. How could you say that? You know, we yeah. should just be thankful for what we got, close our eyes and move on. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So exactly. So I, I definitely had the millennial blues, so mm. to speak. The millennial um, blues. The millennial blues. Well, and, yeah, you were in uh, real estate in 2010. That's that's pretty blue. You got out yeah, right before it got fun. <laughs> exactly. Um, and like you said, I was in a like super gentrified neighborhood, you know, like sky's the limit, wealth wise, money wise, mm-hmm. monetarily. And so I was kind of I was kind of looking at my future and I was like, well, I think I think maybe uh, I'll go get I'll go leave real estate to go get my Ph.D. Um, I was a philosophy major in college Hmm. and, um, so I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, that'll be my next step. Sure. I'll go get my PhD. So I went to go, I applied for my PhD. Long story short, I got into a program, a decent one. So I went to visit. So I go fly out to the school to visit. I'm sitting in this room. I'm looking at the other PhD students who are actually students. I went to like a sample class. And they all look so unhappy. And <laughs> I was like, man, like I can't, I can't lie to myself here. I can't sit here and say, oh, I'll be different from all the rest of them. Right. And yeah, you know, you're not the exception, you're the rule. Yeah, exactly. So I got lucky. I didn't fool myself on that one. So I came back home, back to my real estate job, and I was like, okay, I got a problem here because that was kind of my uh escape hatch, right? Oh yeah. I had the fantasy of I'll go get a PhD. I'll be a professor. I'll do some writing and it'll all be good. But when I looked at the reality of that, and I know a lot of people in my generation are experiencing the same thing. It's like, okay, so wait, I'm going to go to school for six years. Um, fortunately that program actually paid you instead of taking your money. Hmm. Um, but minimal. So I'm going to go to school for six years. By the time I get out of school, I'll be 30. I'll have nothing. I'll have all my college debt. Right. And I'll Mm -hmm. slowly, slowly start inching my way towards paying all that off before maybe when I'm 45, I'll be able to kind of have a life free from debt and just move on. All this to write some philosophy papers that basically 100 people would read, not because they were interested, but because they wanted to criticize it. So that didn't sound like a good, yeah, peer review. That didn't sound like a good plan. Real estate wasn't sounding like a good plan because. It wasn't my personal passion. There are plenty of people who love it. Not my thing. Yeah. What I realized is that I had no one to talk to. 
that was that was big for me. I was like, wait a second. I could talk to my friends, but they're all in the same position I'm in. Yeah, there's no added wisdom. Yeah, exactly. Not going to talk to my dad. Not a good idea on this subject, right? Hmm. Interesting. Not that some people could, but wasn't an option for me. Not going to talk to my friend's dad. He doesn't seem so happy either, you know? (laughs) All right. Where do I go? Where do I go? What do I do, you know? Um, And so it was then I started an active search for a mentor. Um, and I went through a few that weren't quite good fits. Not that they didn't have anything to offer. It just, um, they offered what they could at the beginning, which was some decent advice, but I was looking for more. I was looking for someone who's going to be much more involved in my life. And eventually I found, I found one. Um, and the reason that that mentor resonated with me is because I had this background learning yoga. Um, and that came from an experience I had when I was in college where I had this pain in my shoulder. And again, it wasn't this extreme pain where it's like, oh, go to the hospital and the doctors are like, okay, we got to figure this out because if we don't, this kid is toast. It was just this kind of like mid-range pain where it wasn't crippling, but at the same time, it was not okay. Yeah, it was first world inconvenient. First world inconvenient. And I think that's the theme, right? Is that I had a lot of first world inconveniences, but um, while I couldn't sit there and cry and say, oh my God, my life is terrible. Someone save me. Hmm. I couldn't also just be okay and be like, yeah, this is how life should be. I was looking for something more uh, that would create thriving. I didn't want a life just focused on mediocre. Hmm. I wanted to thrive a bit. And go as far as I could go, at least, with the gifts I've been given. Because in the first world, there are a lot of gifts that were given. So, so this pain, I went to all the doctors and hospitals. And at this time, I had no idea what yoga was. I had no idea what Ayurveda was. I had no idea what any of the Eastern practices were like. And so I, was, I had a very just kind of common, normal Western mindset about health. You get sick, you go to the doctor. And Pops you don't pills, go to the you get a procedure and you're good to go. Yeah, exactly. And that's what was offered to me, right? So I go through the test, I get the MRI, da, 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 on and on. And basically a doctor, he was a good guy and he was honest with me, right? He's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to send you to go get another test. Look, man, you got two options. You could take painkillers. You could get surgery. What do you want to do? Right. And I was like, yeah, I mean, he was, it was, it was honest. It was refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, can we, wow. can we just- can we focus yeah. on that for just a second? I don't want yes, to cut you off. Please. No, no, all day long. Let's focus on you, it. You just said a doctor was honest and that was refreshing. Let's <laughs> <laughs> step back. Let's just let's just pause for a moment. Let's take a time out. <laughs> you just said a doctor was honest and that was refreshing. Can we talk about how degenerate our society must be if that is a statement that we can make and both of us go, oh, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, Yeah, it was a problem when I was on that whole health circuit. I mean, they're dealing with so many people, right? I was at UCLA Hospital, which is in Los Angeles, which is a Mm -hmm. huge, famous hospital, right? Yeah. And they deal with so many people on a daily basis that the only way they could get through these files is by basically saying, okay, you categorized, assessed, done, you know, next. Yeah, it's a process. Go. 
go. It's a process. And it's like, so I'm sitting there complaining, right? Saying like, look, I got this pain. I don't know what to do about it. Is it life-threatening? No. Um, Is it muscular dystrophy or something that's going to permanently like, you know, deteriorate your body? No, I don't think so. Why are you here? (laughs) You know? Yeah. It's like that kind of attitude. And so they would just, but they can't turn me away and all that stuff. So Okay, go get an MRI. Okay, go get physical therapy. Okay, go get this. Go get that. Get that, 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 that. You know, so that's the way that system's set up. And so finally, a doctor who kind of got it after he looked at my file and was like, You've been to six doctors before this, you know, over a period of two years. And it's like, Let me just help you out. <laughs> yeah, painkillers or surgery. That's what we're going to offer you. If you're not going to take one of those things, go seek service elsewhere. Mm. So, so what I did said, you decide to do? Well, that was the thing. I was like, because remember at this point, I didn't know anything I knew now. Mm. So there was a blank spot in my brain. And the same kind of feeling that was like, wait a second, no real estate, no PhD, blank, right? Same idea. Painkillers, surgery, no, blank. Dude, and that's such a, you were what, 24 at the time, 23? I was, at that time I was 19 because I'm working backwards through this. Dude, that's yeah. so scary because I, so personal story, I um, had some back issues when I was 26 and I remember they prescribed, prescribed me some painkillers and I know my personality. So I'm sitting here like, I might like this crap. Um, <laughs> so I'm self-aware enough of that. I, I like to, I tell everybody, I tell my wife, like, I'm not a big vice guy. But man, oh man, do I love me a rush. Like uh, uh, like gambling, love uh-huh. going to a casino with a budget. But that's that's like a thing that could get out of hand. Like if I don't go in with a budget, I could have a problem because I'll play blackjack for like seven hours. So it's a right. budget. Yeah. Once I'm done, I'm done. Um, but like I knew as soon as I got the painkillers, I was like, oh, I've been in pain for a while. I can't sleep. I can't stand. This is going to make me feel good and I might like it. So I remember they were telling me like take – I'm trying to remember what the actual painkiller pain was called – but they were telling me, um, take two a day. And I was like, I'm going to take one a day and I'm going to take half of one. And it was unbelievable, man. Do I totally understand how people get addicted to those? Yeah. And that's a whole huge topic that we we may have to do yeah, a yeah. separate episode on, yeah. but addiction is huge and it ties into all this very heavily. Yeah. Um, because if there's a, there's a wonderful, um, Joe on Hari, he wrote lost connections. Um, and he has a Ted talk. And it's that there basically says, look, I can prove it to you right now. There is no chemical addiction here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Painkillers basically for the most part are heroin, like mm-hmm. really high quality heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, and people walk out of the hospital and some people do get addicted, but the number of people who get addicted to heroin, painkillers is extremely low. And he talks about the whole idea of connection and family and all that stuff and that it can't be a driver of these addictions. It's more of a connection thing from our past and so on and so forth. So it's, it's like the example, I've talked about this before. Uh, it's like the example of the GIs uh, in Vietnam being addicted to opioids while they're in Vietnam and the US government being terrified that all these GIs were going to come back just strung out with a bunch of junkies basically in the street. And when they came back and were taken out of the environment of the war, pretty much there was no relapse rate. I mean, just minuscule. He talks about that exact example. Yeah. 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 So, um, 
Exactly. So those offerings, I was sitting a blank. I was like, what do I do? So the, the blessing that I received or experienced from that, that I wasn't even aware I was receiving is it forced my creativity. Mm, it forced I love that. me to forced open my up creativity. Okay. Yeah. And that's something that a mentor does, but I didn't have a mentor at the time, but Life um, mentor. yeah, exactly. Life was my mentor um, at that time. And, and my own in, inner essence, I guess we're calling it from before earlier in the episode, inner essence was saying, don't do surgery. Don't take painkillers. Don't do it. That's all I had. All I had was a no. I didn't have a yes yet. But that no, that hard no pushed me into a world where I could search for the yes. So... Oh, that's so good. Hold on, hold on. That hard no pushed me into a world where I could say yes. Search for the yes. Search for the yes. It's like somewhere out there. Oh, it's like negotiating strategies, like true negotiating strategies. I'm trying to get you to know first because your first answer, like yes and maybe if you haven't told me no, we're not even really negotiating. You're just trying to get me out of there. Yeah, exactly. So like getting yourself to a point of no, once you get somebody to say no, they're finally starting to listen to you. Now you can have an honest conversation. That's good. Yeah. And there was commitment there. There was commitment to my no. I wasn't doing it. There was no flippy floppiness there. Yeah. You had no choice. Yeah. So I, uh, long story short, because I could get into the details of the story forever, but I got guided or I got suggested to go take a yoga class. I'd never done yoga before <clears throat> and being a guy at what, 19 years old in college. Mm. And, you know, I wasn't like, I'm not like a macho guy. Right. Yeah. But even still being, I was like yoga, you know, I'm a guy. Do I do that? Is that emasculating? Right. Which is part of toxic masculinity, which I'm sure you've done many episodes on and stuff like that. But, um, so I did it. I got over my own ego BS and I did it. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that was insane. Because my first class, there were like these 60-year-old women who were just outdoing me like crazy. Right? I couldn't keep up at all. Yeah, I was like, no way. So anyways, I realized how tense and tight my body was. And I was, you know, moderately athletic. I wasn't like some like, you know, college athlete. But I was good. I was decent. I could play sports, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, so I was like, Whoa, you know, my whole idea of athleticism just changed in that one moment, you know? And, um, I walked up to the teacher and said, Hey, I got this problem. You think we could schedule a time like privately and you could like basically assess me and help me. She's like, yeah, sure. Of course. So we go into like, I think next, the next week we go into the yoga studio and she's like, okay. And so she asked me to all these postures and looks me up and down and, and stuff. And she's like, yeah, I think I got it. I'm like, what? Yeah. And she's like, uh, do these three postures. Let me know how it goes. So I go home. I start doing the three postures every day within two weeks. Pain I'd had for years is gone. Just disappeared. Mm. No problem. Right. So that's great. Obviously I'm like, Oh my God, what a huge relief. A few things. One, it's something I was doing. So I felt empowered. So I wasn't relying on a pill. I wasn't relying on a doctor. I wasn't relying on anyone. It was something that was taught to me that I could then apply into my own life at my own will. So that was big. Then the second thing was, wait, if that worked, 
what else is out there mm. that works in this world, right? And so then, boom, the doors burst open. And I was like, okay, I'm going for it. This is a thing now for me. This is mine. I'm owning this, right? I am now a yoga guy for whatever that means because I love this. That's so cool. So after college, I decided to go traveling. Of course, during a big theme while I'm traveling around the world was experiencing different yoga practices. I didn't go into the high Himalayas or do anything crazy like that. I just went around, did my travels, met people who practice yoga, uh, met a great like, you know, yogi guy in Japan, studied some yoga with him, did some other things during my traveling, came back after a year, started changing my diet during that time as well. Came back after a year and that's when I started the real estate. So now we're kind of caught up. So I continued mm -hmm. yoga practice, but I didn't really find my yoga teacher and mentor until for three years after that. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, oh, dude, we could go down so many rabbit holes <laughs> of this. Yeah. So, I mean, let, let's, let's again, and I don't know pretty much anything about the, the uh, type of Eastern medicine that you practice, but let's address the elephant in the room. Pretty much most Western doctors are going to call it BS. And mm -hmm. I and not all of them. I know some who wouldn't. And I understand why they would call it BS. Uh, I'm a cynic in a lot of ways. Like, I don't expect anybody to agree with something that directly is going to impact their bottom line. I think that's a I think that's just a fair statement across the board. Like I I don't expect a stockbroker to tell me that stocks are not the greatest thing on God's green earth to invest in because that's the only way they make money. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't expect the stockbroker to tell me to go buy real estate. I don't expect a real estate agent to tell me to, you, you see what I'm saying? Like that's the comparison I'm trying to create. So, um, I understand, uh, what intrinsic, uh, carrots are in place in certain industries to play, you know, to go along certain party lines. Um, the only thing I can personally speak on um, because I'm not a doctor and I don't claim to be, I don't have any expertise. I have done acupuncture for some of those, some of that, those back pain issues. It is by far what helped the most. And it's not even close. Um, and the other thing that was interesting to me at this acupuncturist, so she is an MD from China. Hey, can we, can um, we just pause one second? Cause I think this is important just really quick. So acupuncturist, right? Uh-huh. So acupuncture is one sliver of traditional Chinese medicine. Yes. Yet in the West, we all call them acupuncturists. Hmm. That's like calling. Because you got to be able to market it somehow. Yeah, but that, but also because that's what they they've been limited to in the practice in the West in a yeah. lot of ways. It's like yeah. calling an Ayurvedic doctor a massage therapist. Mm. It's like mm, no, that's only one tiny. Anyways, continue. I just wanted to point that out because it's important. Yeah, so this lady is an MD, okay? She's but she's from China. Um, she came to America, was a practicing physician, and was like, "This system is ridiculous. I want nothing to do with this." Which a lot of uh, being a foreigner myself, a lot of foreign doctors that I've talked to feel the same exact way. Um, and she said, "Screw this! I'm, <laughs> I'm going to traditional Chinese medicine." And she has a wall when you walk into her office, and I haven't been in years, but she has a wall of just baby photos. And after like my fourth visit, I was like, Hey, what's the deal with, the, with the baby? Pictures? 
<laughs> and she said, uh, those are all the children um, of the women who came with fertility issues who, after I treated them, were, were able to conceive. So it's become somewhat of a tradition for them to send me their, their pictures. And I'm sitting here like, whoa, that's, that's impressive. Um, so anyway, that's just been, been my experience. And, um, you know, I do, I do think there is a very specific way of thinking, not just regarding medicine, but life in general that we have developed in the West for several reasons. Um, and, and it's interesting, you know, being from Europe, so Western civil, that's where I'm from growing up in the United States. Um, but also, uh, being part of and growing up in a culture that is kind of at the crossroads between East and West, you know, being Greek Orthodox, for example, which is a Middle Eastern religion, you know, uh, even the, even from a religious standpoint, the, the way Orthodoxy approaches Christianity is completely different than the West, the way Catholicism and Protestantism approaches it. Um, uh, so, so I grew up with a certain mindset that was almost a mixture. So I've always just been open to hearing, um, different approaches and different thought processes. And, and I've always found that, found that interesting. So sorry, small rant, continue. No, no, it's all good. Um, I think we're in the part where we're selecting what rabbit hole to go down to. Yeah, we're I mean, addressing the elephant in the room. I don't know. What was interesting to you out of what, what I just said? Let's, let's, let's throw um, the ball to you. Yeah. I think, I think the important thing there is that, you know, I grew up in the mindset, like I said earlier, that there was one way to deal with health and you basically mm -hmm. sit there and like, oh my God, I hope I don't get sick. Please don't get sick. I don't want to go to the doctor. Oh, I got sick. Okay. Go to the doctor. Yeah. It's a very reactive. But extremely reactive. But yeah, yeah. the older systems of medicine in the world are, are completely proactive. proactive and creative. And they're like, look, your health is yours. Your body is yours. Create it or like seriously create it. Cause if you don't, <laughs> you're going to get really sick. And I think that's what we're facing in the United States, especially in the, um, in my generation, the millennials, it's this complete throwing in the gutter of responsibility, um, mm. and commitment. And like, Ooh, we could go down. So. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like throwing of the, of, of throwing away of responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. In a yeah. lot of, I mean, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. And, um, but especially for health, because I get a lot of, I get a lot of people come into my clinic and I, I have no doubt that Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, those systems, they work beautifully. Right. I mean, they're incredible. The first, the first surgery recorded was done by an Ayurvedic physician thousands of years ago. I'm talking surgery, like nose Cutting job, open surgery, a body. the yeah. whole thing, like, right. Yeah. And Ayurvedic surgery is still practiced today in India but it's not legal in the United States. And um, so this idea that, you know, thousands of years ago, people were living in mud huts, like, you know, with a loincloth, you know, bare, like huddling next to a fire, rubbing their hands is crazy. And we should all eliminate that image from our brains right now. The, a lot of those societies were extremely sophisticated and had highly advanced systems of medicine. And a lot of Western medicine concepts are just catching up now to the Eastern tradition concepts. And sure, they use different tools, they had different mechanisms, they didn't use electricity, you know, 
I'm not trying to knock on what our society has achieved. Yeah, penicillin is pretty incredible, for example. Yeah, exactly. But that's also to say that there's also a lot more. And if we say, if we hold the light bulb up as our torch of success and like, see, we have electricity, therefore everything else is stupid. Mm. We're making a big mistake and we're throwing out a lot of wisdom that we should not throw out. Yeah, like I don't know how to build a pyramid in the middle of the desert out of giant <laughs> bricks. Yeah, exactly, right? With without uh, technology. Right. Exactly. Quote unquote technology, right? Is it yeah. just different maybe? But yeah. uh, and the same applies for medicine. And but not only that, the wisdom of okay. Wait a second. You're telling me that if I follow certain kind of rules, quote unquote, daily that I could eliminate most potential diseases I'll ever have in my life, that I have that level of control over my well-being and health. It's like, yes, I'm telling you that. Okay. Yes. Let's, let's focus on that. Let's tangible yeah. things. Give me some of those rules. And I know it's okay. going to be different, but I, I know I'm asking you to be very general to a population of people, of, you know, <laughs> tens of thousands of people listening to this, but yeah. <laughs> just, just try. Okay. So there are a few universals, right? One is eat at regular times in the day. So as in like every day, like have a schedule. Yeah. So like eight o'clock, 12 o'clock, five o'clock ish. Okay. Okay. That sets up your circadian rhythm. Your circadian rhythm is the cycle of your metabolism, right? And the more stable that cycle is, the more stable your body's going to be, your constitution is going to be. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we get this thing where it's like, <laughs> I love this. this. This is always something I enjoy. Uh, someone wakes up in the morning and they're not feeling well. Oh, I don't feel well. It's like, right. It's like, okay, well, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, I ate, I ate a, a donut the night before, whatever. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't feel well. well. There's some truth to that. It's like, yeah, it must just be that donut. Therefore I don't have to address or change anything else I do. And I don't have to look at my entire health history and how I got myself to this point, right? It must have been that donut. And conveniently, it's usually the thing that they're, they don't want to do anymore. Like, you know, if they don't like uh, salad, it must have been the salad, mm. you know, that's giving them this upset or something like that. So but we everybody play likes games donuts. with ourselves. Huh? Yeah. yeah everybody likes, likes donuts. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, no, uh, a lot of people who are, you know, the people who are like, almost uh imbalanced on how healthy they are and i put healthy oh, yeah, quotes yeah. they're like donut no oh my god you know you give me a donut i'll put on two pounds right now we're getting into body image issues and that's a whole rabbit hole as well yeah, yeah. but um so the point is that our health has been this body's been created over the years of experiences we've had and the years of things we put into it not only what we put into it but when we put those things into it and what state are we in when we eat? Are we stressed? Are we angry? Are we excited, overly excited, right? All those things completely matter because we have a nervous system. That nervous system determines how our organs are functioning. That gets into the vagus nerve and the autonomic nervous system. And that's another rabbit hole we can go down. Um, but so that's one thing, time you're eating. Two is your lightest meal should be dinner. Your heaviest meal should be lunch, not breakfast. Do not eat a heavy breakfast. It's terrible Why? for you. 
Why is because lunch is when your metabolism is naturally the strongest. You will digest mm. your food the most efficiently at lunch. Um, and we could talk about that for a long time, but I think the whole breakfast thing's interesting. Why well, is that's breakfast a whole the most important Exactly. You got yeah, it. Because, like, yeah. And the cereal companies really, the fact that Frosted Flakes, uh -huh. is, which I love Frosted Flakes. I think they're delicious. My wife makes fun of me because she, she thinks Frosted Flakes sucks. But Frosted Flakes is like crystallized sugar on like a piece of the cardboard. And that's right. part of a healthy breakfast. Right. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, but that was, I mean, I think that's really important. E everyone who's into that, the world of marketing knows that we, you, me, myself, I'm not immune, is influenced by marketing. That's yeah, why it's, yeah, 100%. So we know that, right? Yeah. So the problem comes when marketeers, people who are really good at this stuff, don't have the best intentions in mind, meaning they want to make a lot of money and they don't give a crap about you. Mm. So the pork industry created to have a big high protein breakfast thing. Because they need mm. to sell pork. They need to sell so bacon. Bacon for breakfast. Make breakfast your biggest meal. You're a king if you have a big breakfast and all that stuff. You need protein. That's another joke, right? Protein. Yeah. Plant-based sources of food have more protein per ounce than meat-based sources of food. So the fact that we even call meat protein is a marketing job. It's not true. So... There's all that stuff. So we get influence, 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 and all that goes up into a big pile about how we perceive our body and what's healthy and what's not healthy. Well, flashback to Ayurveda, and it's going to be like, okay, you, got, you want more protein? Oh, you want a higher protein diet? Okay, stop eating meat. Eat plant-based. What? Uh, uh, wait, no, I like meat. I want meat. I don't want to only eat plant-based. What about my social circles? If I stop eating meat, I'm going to get made fun of. You know, all that stuff. Hmm. Same with drinking alcohol, same with drugs, same with all that stuff. It's a social construct that doesn't necessarily reflect the reality of our creation of our body. Counting calories, right? Mm -hmm. Where do your calories come from? Yeah, it's, uh, it's not, different getting not, one from uh, a donut and from a pumpkin spice latte than exactly. it is from a steak and a salad and some, you know, beets or whatever, whatever, right. Your sources yeah. of pro your sources of uh, calories vary widely yet. We've been reduced to thinking that, okay, I need this amount of calories. And if I get these nutrients, right. And we list just a few nutrients and this vitamin A, B, C, D thing is that, that mode, the vast majority of people have no idea what that really looks like or what mm -hmm. it is. That, okay, now we're health, now we'll be healthy. That's the promise, right? If you get these nutrients, you'll be healthy. That is just not true, period. I will, I, I could talk for days about this. It is not true. It is way more sophisticated and nuanced than that. And there are so many more factors in creating our health. One of which is when you're eating, the state you're eating, not just nutrients, What's the state of your metabolism? If you eat something that's very high in nutrients, but you can't digest it, you're not getting any of those nutrients anyways. So why would you not be able to digest it? Uh, let's say that I am sitting at the table with my family. I'm 14 years old, right? Or what's the average age of our listeners right now? 
uh, I don't know the exact number, but according to my statistics, it's uh, 26 to 34. All right. Let's say I'm 26 years old. I go home for the holidays, be with my family, or if I'm a millennial, a lot of millennials under the age of 29 are still living with their parents. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sitting at the table and they don't like that, by the way. So they come into the table and mom's being mom and dad's being dad. And I go into a, I like, oh, oh my God, I hate this. I just mm. hate being in this house. Ah! And I lock up. I get angry. I get frustrated. I get depressed. I get sad. All those emotions are running through me. I shut down at the table and I'm just eating my food like this without an expression on my face. My nervous system is freaking out. I don't care what you're eating. You're not going to digest that food properly. Mm. It has nothing to do with the food. It's about me. So, of course, because, if I do that and eat a terrible food, it's going to be worse. But just because I'm eating, quote unquote, healthy food doesn't mean that I'm getting a healthy result. Hmm. Because of me, I'm half, the, I'm half the relationship with that food. Is it, is, is it because eating is supposed to be, a, from an evolutionary standpoint, a communal experience and, and, a, and a relaxed experience and you're going against nature in that sense? Or what, what is it? Yeah, so there's... Uh, we have something called an autonomic nervous system. Everyone does. Every mammal does. And that nervous system is very attuned to picking up environmental cues of threat and safety. Mm. And a lot of this comes from a scientist who discovered it. The knowledge has been around for a long time. But in our modern language, the scientist who discovered it is named Stephen Porges. He wrote the polyvagal theory. Anyway, what he observed was... We have, we have this autonomic nervous system, and that's split into two branches. One is the parasympathetic nervous system. The other is the sympathetic nervous system. The parasympathetic nervous system, when it's engaged, turns on all your digestive capacities. So your stomach produces the right amount of acids. Your pancreas produces insulin properly. Your liver produces bile properly so on and so forth. Everything's moving along and your body is primed to digest, absorb, and then regenerate and build new tissue. That happens when you're in your parasympathetic nervous system. And just so everybody knows, this is common knowledge. This is not one guy's theory, right? The parasympathetic nervous system is accepted as just common knowledge. Yeah, fact. And not just Western medicine, Ayurveda, all of them, every, every system of medicine understands this. Okay. So we're meant as humans to spend the vast majority of our lives dwelling in our parasympathetic nervous system. Now, when we pick up threat from the environment and that could be, it's just perceived threat. It doesn't have to be a real threat, just perceived Mm. threat. Like for example, somebody's mean to you on Instagram. That's a perceived threat. Perceived threat. Exactly right? Oh, my nervous system gets a jolt. That jolt runs through my vagus nerve. My vagus nerve says threat, switch, go into your sympathetic nervous system. Now the sympathetic nervous system has a job that's very different from the parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system's job is not to digest and heal and build and all that stuff. The sympathetic nervous system job is to get the heck away from that threat, Mm. right? Either fight it until it's gone, run like all heck and get away or freeze in place so that maybe the threat will just pass on by and not notice me and go away. Okay. Now that's a, 
very clear distinction between the new nervous systems. Of course, it gets they get all you know things get all mixed up, but mm-hmm. fundamentally, you can only be in one state or another. So you're either engaging your parasympathetic nervous system or you're engaging your sympathetic nervous system for the most part. Mm-hmm. So anyways, you sit at the table and you perceive threat. So meaning, you know, I'm threatened because, you know, I don't like my dad. I don't like my mom. I'm stifled. I'm uh, discombobulated. I'm not doing what I want to be doing. My life is falling apart. This is terrible. I don't like this. I don't want to be here. Right. Yeah. This, this isn't helping me thrive. This is not a good situation. So you feel threatened. So you switch to your sympathetic nervous system right there. All your digestive capacities become severely hampered, severely. Yeah, because you you feel emotionally threatened because of whatever perception you have of your life. doesn't matter that in Italy, being 29 and living with your parents is completely normal. And that person has doesn't none matter. of those issues. Um, because in Orange County, it's not normal. Exactly. You, you, you fall into this fight or flight type. And I'm using the term fight or flight. Uh, yeah. And then you just start feeding into that. I mean, that's how we end up with, you know, in my opinion, the society that's constantly looking for a reason why they're not where they think they should be. Yep. Exactly. Interesting. And that's impacting your health, not just from a mental standpoint, which we have, for example, the depression crisis. I call it a crisis. It is a crisis. I, I don't know what the hell else to call it. Besides, it's a genuine the, crisis. Yeah, the depression and anxiety crisis we've had in the last decade. Um, it, it, so mentally, but that you're saying is also impacting, for example, the way you digest your food, which then impacts how it moves through your gut, which then impacts how you how you go to the bathroom. Do you have diarrhea? Do you have regular poop? Do you, you know all the different other things? And you know, you're saying there's a domino effect. Oh, completely domino effect, and and. Let's, I mean, that was just one example. Forget sitting at home with your parents. What if you're in the, you know, I'm at work and like, you know, if I lose this job, I'm screwed. I got to go live with my parents, which I just escaped. Right. So, you know, and then your boss is like, I need this done by three o'clock. And you're like, oh, I better skip lunch today. Or I'm eating at my desk while I'm working. Right. I'm in my sympathetic nervous system. I'm not going to digest that food properly, but I'll sit there thinking, Oh yeah, no, I ate a salad and I ate, um, you know, some rice and vegetables. Like I'm good. I'm healthy. Right. And at the age of 26, you can get away with it. Kind of. Dude, you can get away with so much at 26. Yeah. (laughs) But that's becoming less and less true by the way, as depression rates increase because it's, it's mind boggling how again, I, I, a unique circumstance of just my upbringing, having family in Switzerland, having family in Austria and Germany, people, my age. And for example, the, the example I gave earlier of like living with your parents, like let's, let's look at coronavirus. The reason Italy got just demolished by COVID is because Italy has the highest rate of cross-generational, you know, living situations, living together in Europe. It, it has got the highest percentage of multiple generations living in one household. So I'm 28. I'm partying and clubbing. I'm, you know, doing whatever. I come home. Mom gets COVID from me because she's 57 years old, right? Or grandma gets COVID from me because she's living with us as well. You know, there's, uh, uh, and again, that that is a normal thing. That person is not suffering from depression because they're still living with their parents. 
Correct. Whereas in, again, America, and I'm using this specific example, like you're like, oh my gosh, why am I such a loser? Because I haven't bought my first house yet. Exactly. It's all perceived. Mm, yeah. Perceived yeah. threats. Perceived, perceived threats. I, man, I feel like we could, I feel like we could do so much better in society. Like I'll, I'll take the podcast, for example. I've talked about this before. The feedback on a podcast, overwhelmingly positive. And it's not even close. But so, the people that have been negative, my first response is, cool, where's your podcast, bro? Like if you, if I'm always open to constructive criticism, don't get me wrong. If, 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 if there's something that you heard or something that's wrong or, and you've got a solution, I'm more than, cause I'm always trying to make it better. But if you're just going to complain just to complain, I'm not interested in hearing it unless you've got a podcast, uh, that you've been putting out for as long as I have, uh, with as many or more listeners, because otherwise your opinion's not valid period. And you know what that does? It eliminates all the perceived threats. Sure. Pretty simple. Otherwise, I'd just be arguing with jackasses on the internet who I don't know and don't really care about. Yeah. And why, right? Because right. why are they even choosing to say what they're saying to you? Right. And again, yeah. it's it's very rare, but that's just kind of a rule I made because, again, when you're doing a, a format such as this, and I would argue that all of us are doing some sort of format such as this because of social media, you're putting yourself out there to be rejected, basically. Yes. And I have to make the decision of, okay, who do I allow to reject me? Like one of the most stupid things I've ever heard is people saying, oh, so-and-so blocks, blocks people on social media because of, they, you know, because of arguments or whatever. I'm like, hold on, hold on. Why is that a bad thing? If you're an asshole, I'm not going to let you into my house, like my physical house. I'm going to tell you, you're not allowed in here because this is my house. Why would I let you into my virtual home? Like, why, why would I let you into my house via my phone? What, what, what logic is there? I'm going to protect my environment from toxicity because I have a million other things to do besides focus on what some idiot on the internet is saying. Yeah. And I think that protecting my environment from toxicity is huge because that is something that um, my generation does not do well. We pretty much let almost anything in. Without yeah, I'm not considering the overall effects it's going to have on our life. Yeah, you want to live in a in a in a rental of mine? You go. You're going to pay some rent every month. Okay, <laughs> that that's how it works. I'm sure as hell not letting you into my brain rent free. Yeah, you bring something. Exactly. You better bring something to the table if you want to. If you want to engage with me, you better br you better bring some value to the table. Otherwise. I don't have time for you. And I would argue that most people don't have time for you. It's just that other people sacrifice their relationships um, for that time. So, Yeah, it, that, that's a huge thing because I think what we've been marketed to believe, which is not true, is that, oh, you know, you can watch this, you can watch that, you can listen to this, you can listen to that. And it's all good. It, it doesn't mean anything. You don't have to buy, right? Yeah. But Anything that comes in through any of our senses, literally, and I don't mean this metaphorically, we must digest in our yeah. body because it runs through our nervous system, our nervous system secreting things, doing things, uh, telling organs to secrete things. And our body has to process all that on a very physical, visceral level. So what I watch on the screen, I have to deal with in my body. 
and it has a massive effect on my overall health and well-being over time. Well, and Victor, I, I wish we we had more time, but we both have a hard stop. So, um, y- you know, in a minute or less, if you could go back to 18-year-old you and tell yourself one thing that you wish you had known at 18, what would that be? Start reviewing every single one of my choices without self-criticism. Don't go into self-criticism. Just review. Interesting. Right? Just look and then decide if I want to make a new choice, if I want to explore, or if I want to keep keep it as it is. But go over every single choice I'm making. I mean, minute by minute in my day. Do I want to watch that TV show? Really? Do I want to? All that, everything. How do I want to relate to people? Relationships, I think I would... That's what I'd tell my 18 year old self in reflection on while I'm asking this question is really, really, really prioritize how I'm doing relationships. Ooh, I like that. That's a good one. I might just do that today just for fun. (laughs) Uh, All right. So uh, thanks for coming on. This was fun. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Uh, man. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. I wish we had more time because I feel like we could just start going down all kinds of rabbit holes, but I feel like we've, we've scratched the, scratched the surface. Like obviously, I'm going to have your website and your social media and all the things of how people can get a hold of you in the in the episode description, so people can reach out to you. Um, and you know, outside of that, uh, again, I appreciate you ha- you coming on for for everybody listening. Uh, info at manhoodpod.com if you want to reach out to us. Again, constructive criticism is welcome. Not constructive criticism, just complaining is not welcome. You got to offer a solution. Uh, manhoodpod.com in general. And uh, besides that, we'll talk to you guys soon.